The nation stands as she stood, rock bottomed and copper sheathed, one and indivisible. The Columbia Workshop presents The Devil and Daniel Webster by Stephen Vincent Benet. Daniel Webster was the biggest man in the country. He never got to be president, but he was the biggest man. A man with a mouth like a mastiff, a brow like a mountain, and eyes like burning anthracite. That was Daniel Webster in his prime. And the biggest case he ever argued never got written down in the books, for he argued it against the devil. Nip and tuck and no holds barred. And this is the way we used to hear it told. What is it? What are you sitting there for, Jabez? Come nearer. Ain't no use for a lot of hollering. I seen you from the kitchen window, Jabez Stone, sitting out here doing nothing. And you with all this plowing to do. What do you use your man? Oh, I'm plumb sick of the whole business. That's what I am. What's the matter now? Whoa, that lady. Whoa. Well, I just broke the plowshare on a rock. Rock that I swear wasn't there yesterday. Well, now, Jabez, there's no use p- carrying on. And then as I was fixing to look at the plowshare... The off-horse began to cough. That ropey kind of cough that means sickness in the horse doctors. I got my own troubles to worry about. What with two of the children down with measles and me none too strong myself. Well, I'm sick and tired of the whole business. Everything goes wrong all the time. Now stop this, J.P. Stone. Why, you've got good land and a good farm. Yeah, but it don't prosper me. If I plant corn, I get borers. If I plant potatoes, I get bright. Well, there's no use to go taking on so, Jabez, just because your old plow got broke on a rock. Stones crop up in other folks' fields. Yeah, and boulders crop up in mine. I'm the unluckiest man in the whole state of New Hampshire. Now, Jabez, there's some folks bound to be like that. Unlucky. Well, this is the last straw. I vow it. It's enough to make a man make a man want to sell his soul to the devil. Jabez Stone. I would, too, for two cents. Shame on you. Notice is always taking the things like that, Jabez. You'd better take that back. I want. For two cents and a change of luck, I'd sell my soul to the devil. Then I'm scared for you, Jabez Stone. And for us all. Sooner or later, just like the good book says, notice is always taking the things like that. <laughs> There's a man to see outside. Who is it, boy? I don't know. I never see him before. Well, tell him we're at supper and ask him in, son. Well, he said he couldn't come in. He wants to see you outside, Pa. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Keep my soup warm for me, Maddie. I'll be right back. I think. What's he look like, Thomas? A stranger? Kind of queer like. And he smiles all the time. His teeth are awful white. Kind of pointed, too, and sharp. How's he dressed? All in black. Looks like a city fellow with a black hat, too, and pointed whiskers. Got a nice smart buggy, though. Shiny and brand new looking. And Ma, the funniest thing, when he drove up in the yard, the dog took one look at him and, and run away howling. With his tail between his legs. 
Never mind about the soup, Matty. It's a, it's a lawyer fella. Come see me about a legacy. I and him is going to talk over some business outside. You better take a lantern with you then, J.P.S. Ain't it dark out there? I ain't afraid. Don't be stubborn, man. Take a lantern. <clears throat> All right now, stranger. Where do we go? Well, we'll just walk down around behind the barn and make our little bargain, shall we, J.B. Stone? Anyway, as you say, I ain't afraid. Oh, it's a nice farm you've got here, Jabez. I'll uh, take now. But it will be after our little deal. Is that what you mean? That's up to you. Things couldn't be worse than the way they have been. And so you're willing to do anything to change your luck. Is that it? Yeah. Even to selling your soul? I said it, didn't I? Yes, I heard you this morning. Your good wife was right. Notice is always taken sooner or later. <laughs> Just like the good book says. Yeah. I knew you was coming. Well, then, here I am. And now for the papers. Now, just sign your name here, J.B. Stone, nice and plain-like. What's the terms? Oh, yes, yes, the terms. Why, for seven years, you'll prosper and grow rich. At the end of which time, I come to collect. Collect what? Why, your soul, J.B. Stone. Your immortal soul. Give me the pen. Not so fast. You must prick your finger to sign. Give me a hand, Jabez. Yeah. No, I'll just hold it up. Anyway, you say, Jabez. Then I prick your finger with this little silver pin. So, did it hurt? Yeah. Now, don't worry about that wound, Jabez. It'll heal quick and clean, but you'll have a nice little white scar just to remind you. I won't need to be reminded. You might, Jabez. You might. And now, you're ready to sign. You can write, I take it. You mean the paper? That's right, that's right. Hmm, mighty pretty hand, too. Uh, now, if you'll excuse me, I'll be going. And I'll be going, too, Jabez. Our deal and bargain is made, but I'll be back after the seventh year. Meantime, you'll be having very good luck. Oh, yes, I'll see to that. After that, all of a sudden, things began to pick up and prosper for Jabez Stone. His cows got fat and his horses sleek. His crops were the envy of the neighborhood, and lightning might strike all over the neighborhood, but it wouldn't strike his barn. Pretty soon, he was one of the prosperous people of the country. They asked him to stand for selectmen, and he stood for it. There began to be talk of running him for state senate. All in all, you might say the Stone family was as happy and contented as cats in a dairy. And so they were, except for Jabez Stone. Hold it, hold it easy. Not so fast, Dandelion. Now, get him. Hello there, neighbor. Whoa, Daddy, whoa, Dandelion, whoa. I say, hello, neighbor. Don't call me, neighbor. What are you staring at? Oh, it's my boots that seem to fascinate you, eh? Well, they're the very best money can buy. I don't like them. Why not? Too shiny for your taste? I don't like the looks of the toes. There ain't any. <laughs> that shouldn't worry you, Jabez. No more than that little white scar on your finger there. Why, it hasn't worried you, has it, Mr. Stone? Oh, uh, I've been contented enough. First few years, anyway. Hmm, I dare say. Uh, it's a great thing when bad luck turns. Drives most other things out of your head. But there's always that little white scar to remind you. Say, say, listen here, mister. Ain't you a year early? Yes, yes, I am. I am. 
There's one more year to go before the seven are up, but I, I just dropped in for a friendly call, so to speak, to see how things are going. Well, if there's still a year to go before you collect, then would you mind just getting Mr. out... Mr. Stone, you're a hummer. You know, it's a very pretty property you've got here, Mr. Stone. Well, uh, some might favor it. Others might not. Oh, no need to belittle your industry. After all, we know what's been done, and it's all been according to contract and specifications. So when... Uh, <clears throat> When the mortgage falls due next year, you shouldn't have any regrets. Uh, speaking of that mortgage, mister, I'm beginning to have one or two doubts about it. Doubts? Uh, yes. This being the USA, me always having been a religious man. Uh, <coughs> yes. I'm beginning to have considerable doubts as to that mortgage, as to it holding in court. Oh, well, if you're in doubt, Jabez, let's have a look at the original document. Let's see, uh, Sherwin, Slater, Stephen, Stone. Ah, here it is. I, Jabez Stone, for a term of seven years. Why, it's quite in order, I think. Jabez Stone, Jabez Stone. What's that? That, that little white moth. It's crying. Jabez Stone. It sounds like Miser Stevens. Jabez Stone, help me. For God's sake, help me. That, that come out of your pocketbook. What's that in your handkerchief? Oh, that little moth. Oh, never mind, never mind. It's caught again. There, now I'll tie up the ends of the bandana. So, and you won't be troubled anymore. I'm sorry for the interruption. Now, as I was saying... Hold on, hold on. That was Miser Stevens' voice. And you've got him in your handkerchief. Uh, it was very careless of me, but you know, these little contretemps will occur. I don't know what you mean by contretemps. That was Miser Stevens' voice. He ain't dead. He ain't dead. You can tell me he is. He was just as spry and mean as a woodchuck, Tuesday. In the midst of life, as they say. Listen. You hear? There it is now, tolling for Miser Stevens, as you call him. And he is dead. And so it goes. These long-standing accounts, one really hates to close them, but business is business. Are they all as small as that? As that little white moth I saw? Small? Oh, yes, I see what you mean. Why, they vary. But don't worry, Mr. Stone. You'll go with a very good grade. Now, a man like Daniel Webster, well, we'd have to build a special box for him. And even at that, I imagine the wing spread would astonish you. But in your case, as I was saying... Put that handkerchief away! All right, all right, if it annoys you. I'll put it away for a year. I'll see you again one year from now, J.B. Stone. Until you've made a bargain like that, you've no idea how fast a year can run. It seemed like it was only a week before the time was up, till finally Jabez Stone couldn't stand it any longer. And in the last evening of the year, he hitches up his horse and drives off to see Daniel Webster. For Daniel was born in New Hampshire, and it's well known that he has a particular soft spot for old neighbors. Well, that's the story then, Mr. Webster, and ashamed I am to tell it. But it had to be told to someone, and who else should it be but you? Mm. Well, I, <clears throat> I haven't pleaded a mortgage case in a long time. I, I don't generally plead now, except before the Supreme Court, but if I can, I'll help you. Uh, then I got hope for the first time in seven years. Oh, it's been awful. Been awful. The name of J.B. Stone has become known all over the state. I've been that prosperous. Why, there's talk of running me for governor. 
I tell you, it's dust and ashes in my mouth. You certainly have given yourself the devil's own road to hold, neighbor Stone, but I'll take your case. You'll take it? Yes, I'll take it. I've been working up some speeches to make against John C. Calhoun, and I've got 75 other things to do, and the Missouri Compromise to straighten out, but I'll take your case. What if two New Hampshire men aren't a match for the devil? We might as well give the country back to the Indians. When is he coming? Tonight. At Where? At midnight in oh. my house. And there's no time to waste. You came here in a hurry yourself, didn't you? Well, I admit I made time. You'll go back faster. Wilbur, a hitch up Constitution and Constellation to the carriage. They're a pair of matched greys, Mr. Stone. And they step like greased lightning. is only 11.30. Oh, Mr. Webster, harness your horses and get away from this place just as fast as you can. You brought me a long way, neighbor, to tell me you don't like my company. Yeah, miserable wretch that I am, I brought you a devilish way. But now I see my folly. Let him take me, if he wills. But you, you're the Union's strength and New Hampshire's pride. He mustn't get you, Mr. Webster. He, he mustn't get you. I'm obliged to you, neighbor Stone. Uh, but there's a jug on the table and a case in hand. And I never let a jug or a case half finished in my life. I thought your clock was a trifle slow. Uh, come in. Mr. Webster, I presume. Attorney Wreckett for J.B. Stone. Might I ask your name? Well, I've gone by a good many, but uh, perhaps Scratch will do for the evening. Mr. Scratch. That's usually my name in these regions. You know the object of my errand, Mr. Webster. I do. Then I shall call upon you as a law-abiding citizen to assist me in taking possession of my property. That is the nature of my errand here, too, this evening, Scratch. You shall not have this man. What about my contract? I have seen no contract. And here it is. Here's the deed and see. Here's the signature. What will you take for that deed just as it stands? I'll take what I came for. The soul of Jabez Stone. This deed was made out some time ago when the property was worth so much less. It can't hold now. But it does. Jabez Stone is no longer a poor farmer. The property has increased in value. And Jabez is now a... Well, he's a state senator, and a state senator ought to be worth more. I've nothing to do with arts and should-be's. I'm surprised that you, Daniel Webster, stick to the letter of the law. I tell you, you shall not have this man sold, do you hear me? Stated efforts on behalf of your client do you credit, Mr. Webster, but if you have no more argument to reduce, I'm rather pressed for time. Pressed should... or not, you shall not have this man. Mr. Stone is an American citizen, and no American citizen may be forced into the service of a foreign prince. We fought England for that in 1812... And we'll fight all hell for it again. Foreign? Foreign? And who calls me a foreigner? I never yet heard of the devil claiming American citizenship. No? And who with better right? When the first wrong was done to the first Indian, I was there. When the first slave ship put out for the Congo, I stood on her deck. Am I not in your books and stories and beliefs from the first settlements on? Am I not spoken of still in every church in New England? Yes, it is true. The North claims me for a southerner and the South for a northerner. But I'm neither. I'm merely an honest man like yourself, Mr. Webster, and of the very best descent. For to tell the truth, though I don't like to boast of it, my name 
is older in this country than yours. Oh, well, then I stand on the Constitution. I demand a trial for my client. Oh, the case is hardly one for an ordinary court, and indeed the lateness of the hour. Let it be any court you choose, so long as it's an American judge and an American jury. Let it be the quick call of the dead. I'll abide the issue. Very well. You have said it. In heaven's name, who, who comes by so late? Who are these men? The jury Mr. Webster has asked for. You must pardon the rough appearance of one or two. They've come a very long way. Fight him. You know them? It's plain who they are. Men who have long since sold themselves to the devil. For there's Walter Butler, the loyalist, who spread fire and horror through the Mohawk Valley. And there is Simon Dirty, the renegade, who had white men burned at the stake. Look, look. His eyes is green. And the stains of blood on his shirt. Yes, King Philip, with a great gash in his head that gave him his death wound. And cruel Governor Dale, who broke men on the wheel. There's Morton of Merrymount, who vexed the Plymouth colony with his hate of the godly. And look there. Teach! A bloody pirate with his black beard curling on his breast. And see here. Here comes Reverend John Smeet with his strangler's hands, walking as daintily as he did to the gallows. Look, look. The red print of the rope is still around his neck. Yes. The scratch has told the truth. They've all played a part in America. Are you satisfied with the jury, Mr. Webster? Uh, quite satisfied. Though I miss General Arnold from the company. Benedict Arnold is engaged upon other business. Oh, and you asked for a justice, I believe. Here he is. Justice Hathorne is a jurist of experience. He presided at certain witch trials once held in Salem. There were others who repented of the business later, but not he. Repent of such notable wonders and undertakings. Nay, hang them. Hang them all. Mr. Webster, that, that can't be the judge, can it? Silence. The court is in order. Let the defendant take the stand. No, no I can't. I can't. Look at that man there, and there. Order! Order! What is the matter with the witness? He is afraid of the jury, Your Honor. Then he'll have small chance if he's afraid of the jury at the start. May I speak for him, sir? Say on. We have other business yet to do this night. The case is this, then, Your Honor. My poor neighbor here. Object. Objection sustained. <laughs> the man, J.B. Stone, then, who happens to be my good neighbor. Object. Objection sustained. <laughs> This man is supposed to have sold his soul to the devil. I have objection sustained. Sold his soul to Mr. Scratch for a period of seven good luck years. Now those seven years are up and this, uh, this gentleman here in black has come to collect. My client is unwilling naturally to give up his soul. For giving up his soul seems to him, as it does to me, an act completely outside the jurisdiction of this court. And thoroughly despicable, besides. I object. Objection sustained. That, then, is the case before the court. The defense rests for a moment. Very well. What is your argument, Scratch? It should be this. I overheard this man, Jabez Stone, standing in the fields, uh, cursing his faith. I object. Objection denied. Cursing his faith because he had broken his plowshare on a rock. I heard him burst into tears and say, I vow for two cents... I object. Objection denied. <laughs> For two cents, he vowed, or a change of luck, I'd gladly sell my soul. Objection denied. So, naturally, I, being in the business, so to speak, called at his house that night, and the bargain was made. It was sealed and signed. And if J.B. Stone denies that his signature is affixed to this paper, then let him show the jury the little white scar on his finger, if he dares. Objection denied. <laughs> 
During the night of our bargain, Jabez Stone began to prosper, all as I had promised. Now, the term of our contract is finished. The seventh year is ended tonight, and I have come to collect. All according to contract. Collect what? Say it in words. Is so. Object. Objection denied. Everything seems quite in order as far as I can see. Have you anything further to say, Mr. Webster, before we turn the case over to the jury? I would like to say a few words, Your Honor. Not for the sake of neighbor Stone, nor for my own sake. No, nor in argument or reply to scratch here. But merely because the night seems good to me. Uh, gentlemen, can you remember uh, recently, for some of you, far, far back for others? Uh, can you remember the freshness of a fine morning when you were young? And the taste of food when you were hungry? And the new day that's every day when you're a child? I'd like to feel these things again. And so, too, I think, would you. They are good things for any man. But without freedom, they sicken. Slavery, the loss of your soul, how the very thought revolts the heart. Who is here so base that would be a bondman? If any, speak, or him have I offended. If a man was a man, you'd know it. But because we forget this, sorrows, failures, meannesses, loneliness, persecutions beset him along the endless journey of mankind. He gets stripped and trapped and bamboozled all along the way. But it's a great journey. And no devil that was ever sired can know the inwardness of it. It takes a man to do that. I wish sometimes that I were clairvoyant, gentlemen. I would like to be able to put myself inside each man here and feel what part of the past and what native ground that man loves and clings to. But whatever it is, it is a part of your life. No man else is. Your life that was dear to you and that was lived as you cared to live it. You could rush headlong to destruction as you chose or till the field in bland contentment. Good or bad, your life was dear to you. Why? Because your soul was your own, and nobody was its master but yourself. It seems we have been talking about the soul a great deal tonight, gentlemen. But not much, not really much, when you consider some things. For instance, I think it is a significant fact that the poet Shakespeare mentions the body 241 times. But as he alludes to the soul, 541 times. In other words, the word soul occurs in Shakespeare's plays exactly 300 times more than the word body, or more than twice as often. Furthermore, when the good bard does mention the body, it is nearly always a dead body that he's referring to. But as the soul, the soul, gentlemen, do I or Shakespeare need to remind you how living the soul is, how eternally alive? The very words immortal and soul go together. All my mortal soul. Or to leave the realm of literature for a moment and come back to earth where we belong. What about this, gentlemen? When we hear our good New Hampshire housewife exclaim, Oh, my soul and body. Which one of the two does she mention first? And why? Gentlemen, I don't care what you or anyone else might wish to do with neighbor Stone's life. But whatever you do, you cannot harm. You cannot touch his soul. 
Even death cannot do what Mr. Scratch here presumes to do tonight. Say what you will, the soul shall be triumphant. Imperious Caesar, dead and turned to clay, might stop a hole to keep the wind away. But his soul, gentlemen, his soul, ranges the world as long as the world shall last, or time itself, or your immortal soul. Defense, rest. The jury will retire to consider its verdict. Your Honor, I don't think we need to retire. The jury, I'm sure, has considered its verdict. We find for the defendant, Jabez Stowe. Perhaps it's not strictly in accordance with the evidence, but even the damned may salute the eloquence of Mr. Webster. as they should at Cock Crow. And now we're alone again, we three. So we are, Scratch, though we are. My congratulations, Mr. Webster. I'll have two gentlemen. that paper first, if you please. And now, I'll have you. Come, come, Mr. Webster, this is not a thing to be ridiculous. Now you will sit right down at that table and draw up a document promising never to bother Jamie Stone, nor his heirs, nor a signs, nor any other New Hampshireman till doomsday. Or any hell we might want to raise in this state... We can raise ourselves without assistance from strangers. Out! Out! I am <sighs> Feeling better now, neighbor Stone? <sighs> I can't even speak. How about it, Scratch? There it is, Mr. Webster. Proper and legal, and now may I go? Go? What can you do for me before I kick you out? Well, I'm not a talented man like yourself, Mr. Webster, but... Well, I, I could tell you a fortune for you. I don't take much stock in fortune-telling ordinarily, but uh, it pleases me to listen. Here's my hand. No tricks now. You have an interesting palm, Mr. Webster. But the future is not as you think it. It's dark. You have great ambitions. I have. It almost seems within your grasp that you will not attain it. Lesser men will be made president and you will be passed over. And if I am, I'll still be Daniel Webster. Say on. You have two strong sons. You look to found a line. But each will die in war, and neither reach greatness. Live or die, they are still my sons. Say on. You have made great speeches. We'll make more. Ah. But the last great speech you make will turn many of your own against you. Even in New England, some will say you have turned your coat and sold your country. And their voices will be loud against you till you die. One question. I have fought for the Union all my life. Will I see that fight won against those who would tear it apart? Not while you live. But it will be won. And after you're dead, there are thousands who will fight for your cause because of words that you spoke. Why then, you long-barreled, slab-sided, lantern-jawed, fortune-telling note-shaver? Be off with you to your own place before I put my mark on you. Over the 13 original colonies, I go to the pit itself to save the Union. Ow! And now let's see what's left in the jug. It's dry work talking all night. I hope there's pie for breakfast, neighbor Stone.
And they say that whenever the devil comes near this town of Marshfield, even now, he gives it a wide berth. And he hasn't been seen in the state of New Hampshire from that day to this. Other states, maybe, but not New Hampshire. just heard a performance of Stephen Vincent Benet's story, The Devil and Daniel Webster, dramatized for radio by Charles R. Jackson and produced by the Columbia Workshop under the direction of Earl McGill. The music was conducted by Bernard Herman. This performance tonight marks the last workshop production of the summer schedule. The Columbia Workshop will be resumed in the early fall.